the John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. John Anik and Kenny Florian. I fucking love them. I can't get enough of them. Let's hear that for us next. Big job there from Duffy and Frank Mir is hurt now. Oh, down goes Duffy. Oh, cold. Frank Mir does it again. Rock'em, sock'em, robots here. Oh, my goodness. I believe there are a couple of absolutely self-involved bullshit artists. Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Your boy's hurting, Ken. Well, I'm not going to sugarcoat it today. You're going to hear a lot of Kenny Florian's voice this week, by the way, because he was in Stockholm, Sweden, when Conor McGregor made his UFC debut April 6th, 2013. You probably remember it well, Flo. I do. I do. Um, You know, I had heard uh, about Conor prior to that, and uh, I was looking forward to seeing how he was going to compete in his debut, and man, did he deliver. You did a great job, and... In large part, I think, in some part, I should say, because you knew that there was hype, right? Like you were locked into that fact. And our whole preparation process as commentators for the UFC has changed so much since 2013 when we didn't have a pronunciation guide or we didn't have time with the athletes. But do you remember why I was pulled from that show? Do you remember? I don't. I don't. So my wife was due with my second daughter, Tatum, on April 22nd, 2013. Okay. If I had known that Conor McGregor was going to go on to become the biggest superstar in UFC history, I would have said, I'll be back if you put your, I'm I'm not pushing out the baby, you know, (laughs) Cody, what do you have? Or you're not liking this. I'm saying you're not going to like it when you get home after all this. You're just <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's OK. She does not listen to the Anakin Florian podcast. She did throw my children in front of ABC last night at 3 p.m. Eastern and sent me the video. My son Hunter's probably like, what is going on? Like, why is my dad there and not here? But it was very cute to see my daughters like take their iPad up to the TV to try to record it to show their friends. Awesome. All right. Deep breath. Good to be with you. Sunday, January 17th, episode 284 of the Anakin Florian podcast. And, and Flo, maybe one of the biggest episodes we've done in the six year history of this show. It kind of feels that way when Conor McGregor is fighting, but also because last night was truly epic. It was the first UFC fight night on ABC. And that is where we begin headlines. And before we get into any superlatives and trying to put this singular performance of Max Holloway's in context, Kenny, I just want your thoughts on the fight. You like this matchup quite a bit for Max Holloway. You picked him to win by decision. He was dominant. He was better than ever. What did you think of Max Blessed Holloway over those 25 minutes against Calvin Cater? You know, um, he just uh, drastically exposed um, the lack of footwork from Cater. You know, uh, Cater's a very dangerous guy when he's able to plant his feet and sit. And if you're in front of him, Cater's going to mess you up. The, The dude can rock. Max Holloway's footwork, his ability to get in and get out, and his versatility really was the difference. Here's the problem. It only got better as the fight went on. You know, once he gets into his rhythm, dude, it's going to be extremely difficult to disrupt and stop that momentum that Max Holloway can create out there. Uh, And again, you know, listen, everyone was talking about experience. You know, Cater has a lot of fights under his belt. Big fight experience is a big difference. It's the only thing that trumps experience. And when you fight a at a when you fight at a high level and you've been there and all eyes are watching, um, it, it's just a whole different uh, you know cup of tea. And I think that for Max Holloway, he thrives during those conditions. And again, 
if we look at Max Holloway and all the title fights that he's had and all the big fights from, you know, defeating Jose Aldo, not once, but twice and stopping him, not once, but twice and having 17 fights in the UFC at featherweight and win Sorry, I should say 17 wins at featherweight in the UFC now. That is a whole lot of experience to deal with. And boy, did Max Holloway completely use everything, not to mention, and, and you talked about this before, but all the frustration and all the all the you know the the ups and downs that he's dealt with over the last few days or the last few fights, yeah. he brought that into that fight against Cater and made Cater pay for all of it. Most featherweight wins in the combined history of the UFC and the WEC, Jose Aldo with 18, but Holloway has 17, and all of those are in the UFC. You know, a lot of those featherweight wins for Jose Aldo did come in the WEC. Now, he has far more featherweight title defenses than Max Holloway has, but of right. course, the two head-to-head wins for Holloway, uh, certainly a feather in his cap when it comes to the greatest featherweight of all time conversation. But one thing that was really alarming for me on the Cater side was that he had been hit with more significant strikes, Kenny, in his UFC career than he had hit his opponents with. And I think because he has been able to get some of these elite featherweights out of there, then maybe the scorecards don't factor into the equation at night's end. Or excuse me, the statistics, I should say, don't factor into the equation. But what would you say about Cater defensively? It seemed to me like he was kind of backing up on the same plane, but he was awfully hittable last night. And I don't want to take any credit away from Max, but what would you say defensively on the Cater side? Right, well, you already identified one of those things that, you know, um, you, you can't just attack and defend in straight lines, um, especially against a, a very versatile and dangerous striker like Max Holloway. He's going to corral you and he's going to get you up against the fence. He's going to make you pay. And that's exactly what he did. Um, and I think with Max Holloway, he had the shorter reach. I think a lot of people thought that Cater would be able to tag him uh, more than he did, but it just wasn't the case. Um, also, just showing up and doing this and staying there. You got to right. move your feet. You got to move your feet. You got to get angles and you got to get to the center of the octagon and give your body space in which in which it can move. And yeah. um, backing yourself up against the fence is never a good idea, uh, especially if you don't have uh, the ability to respond with with counter shots. And Cater just doesn't really have that in his arsenal. And Max Holloway just completely took advantage of that. You're the rational guy on this show. I'm the guy that says one loss is like a two-year championship setback, and I'm the guy calling people the GOAT and the pound-for-pound king when probably we shouldn't even be having that conversation. But I'm going to take you back to August 3rd, 2019 at the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. Dominic Cruz and I are walking out of that arena after Colby Covington put it on Robbie Lawler. Not only did he throw almost 550 strikes, Kenny, but I think he attempted 20 takedowns. And I was just blown away by the offensive output to such an extent that I felt like it was the most impressive performance I had ever seen in person in my life. And this took that to a new level, right? Max threw over 150 more strikes or over almost 200 more strikes than Colby Covington did. He attempted over 700 strikes. And I'm not sitting here asking you to compare this performance necessarily to Conor McGregor versus Eddie Alvarez, which I was not in the building for or Adesanya versus Costa or Dos Anjos, I think had a lot of really dominant 25 minute efforts against Robbie Lawler and other people. But to me, I was shaking after the fact, Kenny, like I was shaking for a half hour. I've never had that type of overwhelming emotion after a fight. That was the greatest singular performance that I've, that I've seen in that seat in 10 years. 
Oh, it, it was definitely one of the best performances uh, that I've seen in a main event in the UFC. I think that uh, Max Holloway uh, raised himself to a different level that night. And I think we're seeing more and more of what he can do. Um, I think that uh, anytime you see someone throw that many strikes and still seem like they can go another five rounds, you kind of just get your head scratched and going, who is this guy? Well, what is this guy made of? Uh, Holloway is something special. He always has been. Um, in my mind, I think he's still the champion. And this is no disrespect to Alexander Volkanovsky, who was a tremendous fighter. And a lot of times, you know, I'll say on Twitter yesterday, uh, that is the best featherweight in the world or, or is the best featherweight to ever compete in the UFC. And people right. freak out. That does not mean that Volkanovsky is not a great fighter. That does not take away from Conor McGregor's win uh, that he has over uh, Max back in the day. But this is a guy, Max Holloway, who is consistently getting better, who is consistently adding weapons to his arsenal and is showing it on fight night. You know what I mean? It's like you get these guys in training, they're like, oh, they talk about this guy. He's so amazing in training. He could do this yeah. and that. But you don't see on fight night. Max Holloway has the ability to know, to really show all of his skills on fight night. I mean, he's looking away. He's not even looking at Cater. And he's landing left hands and jabs. And he's talking. I mean, I, again, maybe that was a little risky, right? Uh, but yeah. this is a guy who, he, you know, he thrives off of, or really uh, grows off of his emotions that he brings into the octagon. And that's a rare thing. I think emotions kind of take away from a lot of people's performances, but Max Holloway just seems to zone in. Unlike a lot of guys, the Diaz brothers, you can say they do the same, but yes. Max Holloway is really something special in that regard. I think you put that well. And for Ryland Lazares and all these coaches criminally underappreciated doesn't even begin to describe it. Right. It's never about, me it's always about us with those guys and uh if you go to my instagram page i laid out all the the ufc records that max holloway just shattered total strikes attempted 746 previous record 541 just absolutely insane output <laughs> over 25 minutes wow. and kenny it's interesting because i remember when i think you and michael bisping are hosting ufc tonight a few years ago and holloway's unable to fight Khabib Nurmagomedov, and people are trying to write the book on the guy's career at that point in time and thinking he might be done. You know, he's absorbed some trauma and the weight cuts and everything else. Look at him now, right? Look at him now. He's 29 years old. He's one of the greatest fighters in UFC history. There's no question about that. Uh, it's amazing what he's done. And again, um, it should be the norm, but it truly is not. It is extremely rare that you see a fighter, the quality of Max Holloway, that continues to evolve, that is continually looking at his fights and noticing weaknesses and uh, filling in those gaps. Uh, Max Holloway is something special. He showed it against Cater. Uh, you know, my concern, I'm sure we'll get into it, but my concern is for Cater after a fight like that. I mean, those, yes. those are the kind of fights, John, that could literally change a person. And that was an unfortunate beatdown uh, for Calvin yes. Cater. And my concern is that Perhaps he won't be the same. I hope that he's yep. able to take a lot of time off after this fight. Let's just stay on that for a second and then promise me that we can circle back to Max Holloway. But I do believe that that fight should have been stopped in round four. I know that uh, that opinion dovetails with that of UFC president Dana White. I'm not exactly sure what Herb Dean needed to see. And again, the outcome was an eventuality. I also think there's some criticism to be levied at a friend of mine, his head coach, Tyson Chartier, who didn't at all think about throwing in the towel. And I do think it's tough, right? Because Cal has been building since 2007, Kenny, to, to this moment, essentially. And he found himself two fights away from the ultimate prize. And they feel like their athlete has enough power 
to maybe get Max Holloway out of there. But Holloway's never been knocked down in his UFC right. career. He's been in there 25 hard with Poirier. He's never been knocked down. So I don't know, man. I do believe, as I've said on this program before, having covered a boxing death in 2005, this is how boxers die. This is how careers get shortened. This is how lives get affected and compromised. And, hey, man, Cal was seemingly fine with me in his post-fight interview after the fact. He was articulate. You know, remarkably, his eyes weren't even all that swollen. The rest of him looked pretty beat up. But, uh, yeah, man, he's going to pay the price for that. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, you know, I, I was really concerned for Calvin. He, first of all, just a great guy, a class act. And yeah. again, after two rounds, he proved that he's one of the toughest fighters in the UFC. Full stop. Um, did we need to see two more rounds of that? Um, right. Three more rounds of that? I'm not sure. You know, I think you're right. I think right around the fourth round, um, I, I was really concerned and hoping that Herb Dean would stop the fight. Here's the problem. I kind of blame Calvin for that is because he was fighting back. He was defending himself. Yes. He was really trying hard to fight back. And as a referee, it's hard to kind of stop a fight when that's happening. Especially it seemed like he caught his feet again. It was rocked and then kind of would come back and recover quickly. The problem is, is that that doesn't always mean uh, that the person can defend themselves well. I think Max Holloway had established his skills to be head and shoulders above Calvin Cater at that point. He established that over the course of, you know, 15, 17 minutes. Right. You didn't see a whole lot changing after that. And then if Calvin, yes, Calvin probably possesses uh, way more power than Max Holloway as far as one shot knockout power. Right. However, um, at that point, he had suffered so much damage. He wasn't going to have the power in order to deliver that knockout strike. So I, I agree. I would have liked to seen Herb Dean or maybe Tyson uh, Chartier uh, stop the fight at that point. Again, it's hard because as a coach, you want to give your fighter the, the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, this isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. And you want to see uh, a long career out of someone like a Calvin Cater. And my fear is that that may have shortened that marathon significantly. I think so. He's 32 years old. He's been at it a while. He didn't fight at all for a couple of years, 2014, 2015. But I think the referee's job, to your point, is made harder when the compromised fighter is throwing so much offense back. And when he's throwing offense, you kind of feel like you're going to get killed. Not that Herb really cares about public opinion, but you're going to get killed by some people if a guy is literally mid-combination landing yeah. and you stop the fight. But hey, man, right. I would sleep a lot better at night. Uh, knowing that I preserved a guy's career as opposed to uh, put it in jeopardy. So in terms of Max Holloway and his featherweight greatness, I mean, I'm running out of superlatives, right? I don't give a shit. And maybe it's because I've only slept three hours. But I don't give a shit if people agree with me or disagree with me as to this singular performance being tops all time or if Max is the greatest featherweight of all time. If you think Conor McGregor, 7-0 and as a UFC featherweight with a head-to-head -head win over Max Holloway is the greatest featherweight in UFC history, out fucking standing. I don't care. Great. I love Connor. I'm going to talk to him in two days. Okay. If you think Jose Aldo, the King of Rio, one of my favorite fighters, I'll probably get an Aldo tattoo. If you think he's the greatest featherweight of all time, that's fine. But these 17 wins, the two head to head wins over Jose Aldo and putting this performance on top of that, that's the greatest 145 pound fighter I've ever seen. There's no question. Um, you know, I think, you know, for, I think the big debate is, uh, Really, with Jose Aldo, you know, Conor McGregor didn't stay around at 145 pounds long enough for him to really say that. Um, is he a better fighter? You can absolutely make that argument. No doubt about it. Is he the best featherweight to ever do it? 
I don't know if you could really say that again, just based on the fact that he didn't stay there long enough. Um, you know, the, the, certainly top three, uh, no question about that. His win over Jose Aldo was unbelievable. You can also argue that Jose Aldo wasn't the same after that fight. Right. But you look at what Jose Aldo is still doing in the UFC and the fact that Max Holloway beat him and stopped him twice, uh, a guy who defended that belt more than anybody else. Uh, and you look at everything that Max Holloway has done. You look at all of his skills and what he can do in the octagon. Um, it, it's really hard to make an argument against Max Holloway not being uh, the best featherweight uh, to compete in the UFC. Three successful title defenses for Max Holloway in his first run. I guess his only run as UFC featherweight champion. He was the interim champion, and then he became the undisputed champion, defended the belt three times. But yeah, Connor zero defenses. And when we get to Poirier and McGregor later in the program, you know, Connor's one and one at 155 pounds in the UFC. It's a crazy number. I think Connor is one of the best pound for pound fighters to ever grace that octagon. Right. Of course, I think he's actually underrated as a fighter, but you can't argue with the numbers. He's one and one at 155 pounds, and he's never defended either of the titles that he won. And those are just numbers uh, that the McGregor fan base is just going to have to deal with. And I'm just going to have to deal with my jujitsu coach, Pahumpa Ken Flo. I don't know why I'm bringing this up now. He comes up to me and he's like, hey, can I talk to you about something? He's like the mustache. He's like, you're a handsome guy. Like that looks fucking awful on TV. You look like a pedophile. You got all of social media talking about like pornography. What are you doing? And I was so caught off guard, right? And of course, Amanda Hebos is right there. So I'm like, well, there go my chances with Amanda Hebos. Thanks, folks. Right. But uh, I was like, hey, man, like my wife doesn't like it either. But I'm just trying to go out there and be confident. And, you know, like I don't know. I, I didn't really know what to say, but it's not going to be shaved. So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, listen, we got to try things out every once in a while. I think I think you're one of the few people who can actually pull it off by the way. Thanks. Uh, I, I well, cannot. I, 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 uh, I'm definitely very creepy with a mustache, but you know, and then I, he I, said I, something, sorry that he said something even worse to me. He's like, your Dolomer mats are still at my house. Cause he got me mats for my garage. Cause he wanted to build out a jiu-jitsu studio in my garage, you know? And I was like, man, I retired, bro. Like I retired <laughs> from regular Brazilian jiu-jitsu from combat jiu-jitsu. I'm retired, but, uh, oh, that's so good. just is not going to let me end up a zero stripe white belt. Is that what it is? Right? Yeah, or, exactly. He's a so, straight shooter though. You got to respect that. Paul no doubt, doesn't mess no around. You and know? He is such uh, a loving man and a dear friend. Uh, and I appreciate that he had no shame in coming right up to me and telling <laughs> me how horrible I look. So in the nature of time, I am going to rifle through some of these other fights, uh, on the ABC card, actually real quick before we do get to Ray Longo yeah. in terms of what's next for Max Holloway. I mean, it's gotta be a belt. I interviewed Dana White on the broadcast, and he said that Khabib Nurmagomedov was looking to be impressed. You got to think that uh, that he was impressed with Max Holloway. You got these four lightweights competing this weekend. But for Holloway, it's either going to be the belt at 45 or 55, unless he just wants to get in there quickly and fight somebody else in a main event. It would be an absolute travesty if that wasn't the case. I mean, the okay. guy right. the guy deserves it. He deserves it right now. You know, Ortega... Right. You know, listen, he's he's a fantastic fighter. He's got the look. I get it. You know, the, the UFC machine is behind him. Uh, but and he had a fantastic performance his last fight. But, um, you know, you, you can't compare it to what Max Holloway is doing and the type of, the type of fighters that he's defeating and the way that he's doing it. Max Holloway. And I agree with you. That is one of the best performances I've ever seen. Try throwing 700 punches on a bag. OK. In 20 minutes. Just like just go for it. Try it. Just do it. Right, and and right. uh 
you know, let me know how that goes uh, against another uh, resisting fighter who's throwing back at you. Uh, the, the guy is special. Uh, he deserves all the accolades. Uh, he's a treasure uh, for the UFC. And, and man, to deliver those kind of fights again and again, unbelievable. Max is the man. Congratulations to Max West Holloway. More on Max assuredly from Ray here in a few minutes. Co-main event was Carlos Condit over Matt Brown. Maybe the Matt Brown camp thought this fight was uh, closer than the judges did, but it looked like a uh, a clear win for, for Carlos Condit for me. And uh, Kenny, I just think he has gotten comfortable in those wrestling situations. You know, as we talked about in our post-fight interview, his coach Ricky Lundell deserves a lot of credit, but uh, some offensive wrestling, some good defensive wrestling. And when you think about where this guy was with a four, I think actually five fight losing streak to come to Fight Island now twice in four months and get two wins. Carlos Condit's got a new new lease on his professional life. No, definitely. Listen, I think he did a great job uh, of reversing the position against Matt Brown. Um, I think he largely kept Matt Brown um, pretty defensive, even when he was on his back. So I, I think Carlos did a, a pretty solid job. Um, I think it, it takes him a little bit to, to warm up uh, a bit. I, I didn't agree with the unanimous 30-27. I, I did think that I, Matt Brown won that first round. I don't no know doubt. exactly no what doubt. the judges were looking know? at. I mean, yeah, like, I mean oh, both guys you, after the fight were like, huh? Like, well, it's like, oh, Matt, you the, the fence cut your forehead open while you were executing the <laughs> takedown. So <laughs> yeah. I give Carlos the round. Like, what the fuck are you watching? What are you watching? Exactly. I don't understand. I don't understand it. But okay, the right guy won. Okay, I, I get right, it. But right. it was a close fight. It wasn't. It wasn't a, a runaway fight. But yeah. So, anyways, um, you know, these were two veterans that I think were matched up appropriately. This is excellent matchmaking. This is the fight that obviously was supposed to happen before a couple times, I think. And the fact that it happened, and Carlos Condit was able to get a win and his second win in a row now in the UFC. It's great to see because Carlos. Carlos is a stud, man. It's amazing. This guy has been fighting forever. He's been fighting around on this, uh, you know, when I was, and, and Matt Brown was as right. well. They've been active ever since. And um, to see two, these two warriors go at it was pretty cool. And Carlos Condit um, definitely showed some improvement off of his back, getting those switches to reverse the situation against Matt Brown. And, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was, a, it was great to see Carlos get back, uh, you know, to get some consistency back. He's been around forever. I was reminiscing actually with our producer, Zach Candido, who used to work with me on MMA Live, Kenny, because when I did Bellator season one, episode one in April of 2009, and you guys were back in Bristol doing MMA Live, I forget how it went down, but they needed me to voice a highlight of Carlos Condit's UFC debut against Martin Campman. And I had to voice the highlight from my hotel room in Oklahoma or wherever we were at that mm -hmm. time. And we were just reminiscing about that. But you know what Carlos Condit's UFC record was walking in there? This weekend? No. Eight and nine. So he is now five hundred nine and nine in the UFC. And you may have heard Dan Hardy say Vicente Luque as a possible opponent after the fact. And the reason he did so. Yeah, I know you're cringing, but the reason he yeah. did so and maybe why Carlos decided not to do so on an open mic. So full disclosure here in our fighter meeting, we asked Carlos about any names that would be intriguing to him. And he mentioned the Vicente Luque fight, but maybe after going through those 15 minutes, he said, you know what, maybe at this stage, biting off a little bit more than I can chew right now. Um, so that's why that was the name on the tip of Dan Hardy's tongue. But we congratulate one of the true fan favorites and good eggs out there, Carlos Condit. How about the leech, Lee Jingliang? I mean, you want to talk about affable good eggs. I love this guy. I think we'd be best friends if I spoke Chinese. <laughs> and people are banging on me for like nodding my head when he's taught, but he's looking at me. He's talking to me in Chinese. So what am I supposed to do? Just be like, Hey man, 
I don't know what you're saying. Why are you looking at me? Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm just nodding, pretending that I know what he's saying. But what a win for the leech can flow. Seven welterweight knockouts in the UFC for Li Jingliang. Few bigger than this one over Santiago Ponzinibbio. A lot to unpack on this fight. Ponzinibbio goes over to Dana White after the fact. I think he was still maybe concussed. And he starts shaking his finger. And it was like, so after, after the fight, I'm talking to DC and DC saying he went over there as if to say like, no, Dana, that doesn't count. I mean, that doesn't count. We're going to do that again, like next weekend or something. But, uh, what were your thoughts on the featured bout there between the leech and, uh, the artist formerly known as Genshi Boa? That'd be nice. It's like backyard basketball where you're like, no, 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 that didn't count. Right. That didn't count. We're going to race that. No, 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 no. Right. We're going to go back reverses. Um, and you know, listen, Hey, to your to your credit, uh, listen, 80, what was it? They say like 80% of communication is nonverbal, John. So here you go. Yeah, there you go. In your face, nice. fans, okay? Uh-huh. All right. So anyways, um, I will say this. Uh, you know, Pontanibio looked very hesitant. Um, I, I saw a guy in uh, Li Jingliang who was, you know, fainting a lot. He was a little jittery, which was throwing off Pontanibio big time. Pontanibio looked very hesitant entering why? Not necessarily because of Lee Jing, Lee Jing Leung's faints, but also most fighters don't know how to get in without getting hit. And, and, and you can see there was a fundamental problem with his, with his head movement. Instead of ducking under, he stayed tall. So he landed a nice jab, stayed mm-hmm. tall, and went back and went right into the hook of Lee Jing Leung. And man, was that a hook. I mean, it was yeah. just placed perfectly. It was a picture perfect shot, um, and uh, it laid him out, man. I mean, there's there's nothing you could say after that. I think what Pontanibio was saying was like, "Hey, listen, they stopped the fight too early. I've come right. back from right. I've come back from shots like that before. The referee's got to give me a chance." Now right. that is kind of true for anyone who saw him on the Ultimate Fighter. He came back from some of the most insane fights that I've ever seen. However, he was out. His legs were not moving. Right. His eyes right. were not there. That was absolutely an appropriate uh, finish. Unfortunately, um, I thought Pontanibo was going to win. I thought he had a lot of advantage heading into that. But to me, you got to question, hey, was that was that ring rust? Was that hesitancy because, you know, either he had some kind of injury heading into that fight, like his lead leg looked a little off. I I don't know what was going on there. I I, I don't know. But maybe being away from the octagon hurt him there. Uh, But uh, yeah. I saw Lee Jing Leong who, who liked this matchup. He turned it into a, a battle. He, he got him into close quarters and he made Pontanibio pay for it. And hopefully Santiago learns from that. I think Pontanibio put a lot of pressure on himself to make a major statement and try to sort of uh, make up for lost time. I also am not sure that he uh, didn't underestimate Lee Jing Leong. And if you saw Lee Jing Leong fight Neil Magny in March, you know, it was arguably his worst performance. So I think a lot of us maybe should have been of the belief that Lee was going to really put forth a good effort here and try to distance himself from that result because he went on a great run, you know, finished Elizio Zaleski dos Santos. Lee Jing Leong, far and away the most accomplished Chinese fighter on the men's side uh, in UFC history. And he certainly set himself up for a big one next. And you're right in terms of what Ponzinibbio's mentality was. He kept looking for a replay, trying to find one on one of the big screens to see if indeed it was a premature stoppage. Uh, it was not. All right, Ray Longo in 60 seconds, but pigskin fans, the moment you've been waiting for all season long is right around the corner, and DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55, is bringing back their golden ticket giveaway with up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you got to do to get your share of these huge prizes is enter DraftKings 
free Super Bowl prediction challenge. Once you submit your picks, you will get a free instant prize up to $25,000. And if you have the most predictions correct, you could win the top prize of $1 million. So download the DraftKings app now. Enter the free prediction challenge. Answer questions like who will score last and boom, get ready to make it rain. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to its players since 2012. So they know a thing or two about big paydays. So here is what what you've got to do right now. Download the DraftKings app. Use promo code AFPOD to enter the free $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. Everyone gets an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. The promo code is AFPOD. Enter the free $55 million Super Bowl challenge. Only at DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of Super Bowl 55. That is code AFPOD on the DraftKings app right now. Terms, conditions, and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for more details. All right, get your bets in now. Did Ray Longo get a haircut? I am saying he did not. Let's get to the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Ray Longo is one of my best friends in the world, and that's why we're honest with each other. I was just saying before you came on that Pahumpa, my jiu-jitsu coach, just thinks I look awful with a mustache, right? And I'm going to – full disclosure, I have said at times that I don't think your hair looks good. I think you have now gotten past another awkward stage, and I actually think it's starting to look good again. Don't, don't get used to it. It's coming off. I, if, the, if these fights were at night, I would have did it yesterday because I had the girl in the gym and – then I said, nah, I want to go home and watch the fights. So I, I opted to watch the fights instead of getting getting my hair cut. But uh, Palupa, uh, what do he say about your Groucho Marx eyebrows? He left you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't do much about the eyebrows, but the, the mustache Dude, I, I can shave. What, if you shave those eyebrows in your mustache and I cut my hair, who would have more hair on the floor? That's a shot. I mean, you're taking that, a fucking shot right off the top of the Ray Longo minute today. <laughs> I have often said, though, because the eyebrow maintenance is insane, right? I've never waxed my my eyebrows, but it's like I can go to bed, wake up. I have one eyebrow instead of two, right? (laughs) So I have often said if I ever got like six months off of TV, I would wax them flush off my face and they could just start growing (laughs) back casually, you know? That is some, man, I'm jealous. I'm jealous of your eyebrows. Thanks. I've had a lot of women compliment my eyebrows over the years, but uh, <laughs> didn't help me close the show necessarily. But they like the eyebrows. <laughs> no, no. Well, you would have closed if your wingman was Ken Flo. I guarantee you. That. <laughs> oh, look I'm, at these! Uh, I was going to say, look at these eyebrows. These things are something special. These yeah, are. No, you guys. Look are, at these things. Dude, I can donate these. Always, the, the ladies have always loved Ken Flo. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, that sophisticated yeah. smile and it's, the yep. ambiance that guy brings yeah. into a room is phenomenal. What a shocker that he married a model that is 25 oh, years younger. Than he <laughs> All right. So, uh, so I will say though, as as good as the hair looks right now with uh, with the hat, it didn't look great in your little mid session with Aljamain Sterling. But how is Aljo doing? He's coming out guns blazing, Kenny. Guns blazing. Yeah, he is. He is. That was, was that passive aggressive? I don't even know. Is that considered passive aggressive? Uh, so Aljo's there's a lot, point, man. Looking good. No, to get back to your question, he's off to a great start. Uh, it's great to have him back in the gym. Uh, yeah, it's just. Uh, fun we had a, a really great week and uh i just hope he continues and he stays healthy man he's looking really really good love what i'm seeing 
there's a lot of love for you, of course, here on Fight Island. And one of your biggest fans, I think, is Eric Nixick, who has been working with Aljo in yes. Las Vegas. Yeah. And I know he's doing so with your blessing, obviously. Man, he did not have enough good things to say about Aljo and the way he's he's really working over some of these elite featherweights in the gym. So you guys got to be kind of jumping out of your skin with excitement that this fight is fastly approaching here. Yeah, just let's, uh, you know, it's been, you know, we got canceled at one time and, you know, we took him a while to actually even get the fight let's just right. let's just get in there and do it you know at this point but yeah no so far he's on track and thank you uh thanks to eric you know he's he's been great with aljo out in vegas which is always nice to have somebody you trust right he's not you know he's not you know here right. so that that's really great and uh you know my schedule kind of hopefully it won't be that bad so i'll be able to go out there a little early too so it'd be great i'm, I'm really excited he's he's off to a great start uh, and, you know, Aljo sends me those sparring rounds from out there. There's some really good guys, you know, before, before, you know, the fight got canceled that he was moving with. So, uh, right. yeah, really good stuff, man. I'm excited and his head's in the right spot. Uh, and man, I'll tell you what, after a night like last night, who's not inspired to, to fight or hit the heavy big, the gyms are full today after watching Max Holloway put on, I, dude, I am blown away. By what I saw, just I really thought Kata's boxing was going to be able to, you know, uh, you know, stymie the guy. And it just wow. Couldn't be anything but the truth, man. I almost like for Kata was almost, you know, wrong place at the wrong time, because if people want to yeah. know what in, if people want to know what in the zone was, go watch that fight. Man. I, I'm, I just can't believe what I was looking at. It was nonstop. And. It was nonstop even after the fight. Like the guy was just was even in a fight. I mean, this was this was uh this was superhuman, I think. I I didn't see it going that way. I thought it was gonna I thought he was gonna I thought it was gonna be more like the Dustin fight, you know, where he there was a great <clears throat> fight, but the, the guy's boxing would uh would have more of an effect. But even, you know, the guy was like Superman. He'd get hit, it didn't even matter. Like it just hey, right. was, that was in the zone, man. That was just crazy what I was looking at. Ray, uh, conversely, you know, I, John and I were discussing, you know, um, whether they should have stopped the fight or not. Um, it, it was tough because Cater kept fighting back. But as a coach, as a coach, if you were if you were coaching Cater, you were in his corner. Would you have stopped that fight at a certain point? And I know it's a difficult question, but he was fighting back, but he was taking a beating throughout that fight. What would you have done? I mean, I, I think what I would have done is what is I would have said, listen, you got the first two minutes of maybe like round four to show me. Like you have to, let's go for it. To go out on your mm -hmm. shield, or, but you got to go for it. You can't just sit there and keep right. taking punches. You know what I mean? And I think I would have taken that approach and then I probably would have stopped it, but I would have, I would have given the code red and let me just see you keep going forward, go forward, go for maybe, you know, he does have the power to get to, to, to have maybe made a difference, even though on that night, it didn't look like that. Uh, but I would have probably just given him an ultimatum and see if that could have sparked him to just, you yeah. know, but I, I just think the volume and the variety and the up and down and the mixing in, you know, with the kick just was, he could not get started. And then, yeah. Before you know it, you're behind in the punch count, like 80 punches. This was oh. crazy. This was insane to me. And, you know, like, again, hats off to Kata, man. He just, you know, showed his toughness that we knew he had anyway. Yeah. But, 
That is a great point about you in terms of the early deficit. It was like before you blink, he was just way behind in the fight. Kenny, I know you have thrown in the towel in your coaching career, I believe, or stopped a fight, if I'm not mistaken. Is that not true? And I guess I'm just trying to turn the question back around on you. No, I don't know why I thought maybe for one of those Kurt Pellegrino fights, but no, he just lost the fight. He didn't throw in the towel, but I I haven't, but you know, I think as I've, I guess, matured a little bit and, you know, seen a lot of fights and I've seen guys come out of a fight and never be the same again, it has changed my perspective significantly. I I didn't, you know, for me, it was like, don't even think about stopping the fight. Uh, I'm not going to stop a fight for a dude who wants to keep on fighting. And that's that. And, And I've changed over the years because you know what? Like you only have one brain and you hear these stories and this and that. And you know, you want someone to be able to function. And when you see that kind of uh, disparity in skill, um, you know, I, I felt like after that fourth round, it, it should have been considered at least uh, yeah, yeah. by, by uh, Cater's team. But and, and, and Kenny, Kenny brings up a great point, John, is that if you asked me this 20 years ago, I would have said I wouldn't have stopped the fight. So you're right. As we evolve yeah. and mature, yeah. we get more data and you've seen more casualties. Yeah, you start a hundred percent start thinking about let me let me save the longevity of uh of of this guy's life like and that that's a i think so i think that's a really good point but like again so just to compare it 20 years ago i would have told you definitely not now i would have said look man let's just because you know the problem with with cater is that he does have the power to get you out of there right so you know if he put it this way if that was a guy that never had a knockout in his life i'm stopping the fight you know, yeah. well, you maybe know. after like the second or third round, but yeah, then, you right. know, you're kind of exactly. you know, right. Yeah. But he does have that shot. You were kind of waiting for it. And he yeah, was throwing, right. he was throwing back yeah. and you're thinking maybe he lands it. Right. I mean, I'll tell you what the, really the main thing in that is the way that I'm going to say, uh, Holloway had like a little bit of a, a reach advantage and Holy shit. Did he use that advantage? Was crazy. Like you could see even when Calvin was trying to swing back, he just wasn't there. He was right. just far enough out of range not to get hit. And man, I'm telling you, I just I'm I'm blown away by that. I really am. I, I could not believe that. Just you know, it's funny because you know, we, I worked with uh, you know, Aljo Spard that day when I said, Who do you got? And he said, you know, we broke it down. He had Holloway, and he said, you know, I think you know, he could use his kicks, his wrestling, and I go, Yeah, I think he's gonna want to box with him. That's that's why I say I think that's who he is, and he's gonna right give Cater the chance to do whatever he does best. And that was part of my reason. That's what happened, yeah. Right, and that's what he did. He beat him at his own game. But it's funny, when he was getting in the ring and then when he was in the octagon, I mean, I'm sorry, I text Aljo, I go, man, this guy looks loose. I, I go, oh I'm, starting, I'm starting All to, week. I'm starting to, I go like this, I go, I'm starting to switch to the other side. He's, <laughs> he puts back laugh out loud because I'm like, wow, this guy. Because people oh, can talk and you're going to see something different. But listen, this guy's had weight cut problems. He's had problems years ago, not years, but maybe two or three years, four years where that, you know, he had a medical intervention had to happen. How to, I, I, I'm, I've never seen a guy and, and I'm just saying, even losing the title, losing the dust and, you know, getting maybe mentally out of this whole thing. Ah, I'm done with the title. I just want to fight. This guy somehow comes back and, I'm blown away. I really am. I don't know what I was looking at. It was just a great superhuman performance. It was just flawless and freaking nonstop for five rounds. 
I had a lot of face-to-face time with Max Holloway this week. So when I started to hear the narrative, oh, I didn't love the way he looked on the scale or after he had weighed in. I'm just like, man, people have the wrong read on this with all due respect. You know, he walks up on the scale and I said, you know, this is the man around whom this card was built, future Hall of Famer. And he looks over. He's like, I appreciate all the hype, man. You know, if you're dying up there, you're not engaging the play-by-play guy before you get on the scale. So I thought that was very overblown in terms of the stoppage, Ray. You know, if this is a three-round ring of combat fight, you know, maybe you're quicker to stop it, right? I think yeah, yeah, it was yeah, compounded yeah. by the stakes that Cater found himself maybe one win away from a title shot. Yes. And I also just want to say to all the slapdicks out there who are going to say, oh, you can't throw in the towel. If you throw a towel in, the referee has to stop the fight and they go save the athlete. So, yeah, technically you can't, but you can't. Uh, Hey, Ray. Yes. How about Joaquin Buckley getting the highlight turned around on him by Alessio DiCirico? Is there any greater example of how unforgiving this MMA space is than that Joaquin Buckley got viraled by Alessio DiCirico, who came in having lost three in a row? I'll tell you what, man. You you couldn't have said it better. Unforgiving. You know, some days you're the hammer. Some days you're the nail. You know what the That's my favorite word. No, but you know what I'm saying? Like, this is. That was crazy. That was, yeah. look, first off, just getting back to everything, you couldn't have had a better main card for ABC for the first time on ABC. I mean, everybody has to agree with that, right? I mean, the show starts off with a knockout. By the end of this card, I don't even know what that guy's name is. <laughs> You're right. You know what I'm saying? And it was Nick's, it was Eric Spider. You know, what a great knockout. What a, you know, good to start the card off and then. Man, then the next fight, then the next fight. You know what I yeah. mean? It was cra- what a great card. And, and you know what? Another thing is, and I think it was a great tribute to guys that have been around for for a long time. I thought Carlos Condit never looked better in his life. Yeah, and you had like- two guys. I thought the matchmaking was phenomenal. Two guys that were older. But here's the difference. They both wanted to win. I, You know, you don't know who's going in for a payday anymore, who just wants to get in right. and, you know, just, you know, uh, Check a box off. You know what I'm saying? These guys are sending their performance, whatever the terminology is. Yeah. Uh, mail it in. These yeah. guys wanted to win. I thought it was a great matchmaking. And I thought Condit, man, I, I really thought whoever somebody settled him down. I thought his combos were crisper. Yeah. His wrestling looks better. I mean, he's 36 years old. He looks like he's in a great spot, this guy. I, I don't know. So he's, and then Holloway fights, and I forget about that fight. You know what I mean? Right. It was one of those nights where who the hell's getting the bonus, man? It was what a what a great night for the UFC and what a great night for ABC. I mean, I, I don't think it could have won any better. I haven't called a lot of Condit's recent fights. I know Kenny and I did several early on. Kenny and I actually did a 3D broadcast, I believe, for his interim championship win over Nick Diaz. We did like a movie theater broadcast for UFC yes. 143 back in the oh, day. Wow. Um, and we will get Kem Flo's thoughts on Punahele Soriano in a minute. But because this will likely be our last chance to talk about Max Holloway, I just want to say sort of in closing, like, You don't go to me for any historical framework, as I said on ABC last night, but I'm encouraged when I hear Ray is blown away and Kenny is so blown away by this performance because Ray, other than when Colby Covington fought Robbie Lawler with all that offensive output in New Jersey back in 2019, I've never had a harder time sleeping after a main event because I was just so mesmerized by an athlete's output and performance. You know, well, just well, fun. listen, well deserved, man. I mean, the guy, like again, it's, it's not even a performance. It's just 
where he's at in his career and how many fights he has. He might be 29, but his fighting age has to be older than that with all the ring time, you know, all the octagon time and all the rounds he put in and the wars he's been in. And, you know, I, I, this was this was unreal to me. It really was. But not not just for the fight. I'm, I'm looking way beyond the fight. Just for what he's like. Again, if you look at all the things that have happened in the past to him, uh, like, again, with the medical stuff and the weight cutting. And I just think I don't know that guy. That guy blew me away. I didn't think that was even possible. And against a guy that could fire. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it was against a guy that was up and coming that had some great fights, deserved to to have that shot at, at Holloway. And man, like again, wrong place at the wrong time, man. That was not the night to be in the octagon with Max Holloway. And he deserves another shot. And I would never, but even with losing twice, how do you not give him a shot after that? You know? Right. Sorry, I'm trying to uh, send a message to our handicapper, Joe Osborne, to see if we can push him back a little bit. But an incredible night for the MMA leader on ABC. It was just really cool to to have the fights play out like that, because ultimately, as much as we put into things on the live production side, we need good fights. And we certainly got them. Yeah. Hey, oh. Ken Flo, pu- putting a bow on it. Punahele Soriano against Dushko Todorovic. I just thought you would find this interesting. And then we'll take anything you have on the fight itself. Todorovic wants to be the Novak Djokovic of Serbian MMA. He came in 13-0. I love the film on him. I loved our fighter meeting. I really <laughs> liked Todorovic. And when Punahele Soriano got the call to fight him, he was intimidated. You know, he was like, oh, man, right? And look, two undefeated guys kicking off a major show like this. But I think that was a good emotion to have, you know, because he understands that promotionally they think he's ready for that type of challenge. And uh, that's a pretty impressive Hawaiian there, Punahele Soriano under Eric Nixick, and he's only getting better in theory. You know, Todorovic did great until he didn't. Um, right, and, you right. know, there was a there was a, an issue with his stance. He, he wasn't so bladed. If you want to get in a defensive position to – to deal with someone who's trying to punch you, you don't want to be square and you certainly don't want to be upright. You don't have the ability to, to really move. If you're not going to move your feet and you want to just move your head and you're staying up tall, it doesn't allow for you to be defensively responsible um, against a dude who could, especially a dude who could throw like Soriano. So he was actually making Soriano miss a lot early. Um, and then he thought, he's like, okay, cool. I can make a miss. I'm just going to keep doing the same thing. The problem was is Soriano started to time him, started to faint his way in. He realized that he was just kind of leaning back uh, like a tall tree dealing with the wind. And he ended up throwing a shot and dropped him a couple of times. He figured out what was happening. Soriano made the right uh, adjustments and ended up taking him out. And listen, Here's the thing. I think Todorovic, from what I saw, is probably the better fighter. He might be the more skilled fighter, but it doesn't matter. On yeah. fight night, it's who fights better and who makes the right adjustments. And I think yeah. Todorovic really could be a fantastic fighter, but he's got to fix his stance, and he's got to know what means good defense and what doesn't. Um, but Soriano, uh, credit to him, man. He could he really has a lot of pop in his punches, uh, and that was, a, that was an excellent win against another uh, very good undefeated fighter. So, Ray, what do you have going on the rest of the day, my friend? We're going to cut the lettuce. We are not going to ingest any playoff football in the NFL. It's only the greatest thing on TV today, but I understand that will not be a part of your Sunday. What, what do you got going on the rest of the day? I'm going to chill out. I'm going to hit the gym probably about uh, three. 
uh, grab a workout with a couple of guys. Uh, and that's going to be it. It's a nice mellow day for me. I love it. You know, somebody I mean? on the ground here suggested you as a pothead. I said, Ray doesn't smoke weed. You got him mixed up with, uh, with that Sarah cat, maybe. <laughs> you know, I, I can't have this conversation in my living room. What's that? <laughs> oh, are you in your, are your daughter's home or no? Uh, everybody's home. Oh, kidding? everybody's <laughs> home. And whose hair is longest? Just kidding. Oh, yeah. Mine. But forget about the pot. What about, you know what I loved on ABC when they went back to Cosell and uh, Muhammad Ali? Yes. What great interactions. And Amazing. You know, I wasn't a big Ali fan back then, but man, did I grow to love this guy. Man, he really had something to say. He was a man of conviction. You know, he held to his beliefs till the day he died. And what a, what was, it was great. You no, know, just watching that yeah. old stuff. I don't even know if you guys remember that, but that's really what I grew up on was, uh, right. you know, right. wild world of sports. Like we talked about yeah. last week, you know, and I'd like that Dana, you know, they put the commercial in with the, you know, people from different places, but fighting's in your DNA yeah. and all of that stuff. And, you know, Kenny, you know, what's not in your DNA? Being told <laughs> to take out the garbage. That's not, you know, <laughs> I know. You know what? Tell me about DNA, it. I, you know, I look in the DNA playbook. Yeah, I didn't see that, but uh, that's not your DNA. Fighting, yeah, that's in your DNA, but uh, I don't know, whatever. You know how I know Trash I'm, cans I can take a beating, too. Trash cans can take a beating, too. It doesn't matter what we know martial arts skill-wise. We still got to take out the trash. That's it. Where is, there, where is that in the DNA playbook? Anywhere, John? See, I know I'm 42 because I look forward to trash day. Like, I'm excited <laughs> to get out and fucking wheel the thing to the curb. I forget all the time. Oh, I honestly forget, and I get, you know, yeah. emasculated for it. All right, well, on social media, it is at Ray Longo MMA, and we look forward to the haircut and the Aljamain Sterling noise and everything else. And uh, we will talk to you next Sunday or Monday when I get back to uh, the United States of America. All right, buddy. And a shout-out to my man, the Steamroller. Big fight for, oh, for him. Oh, shit, I forgot. Fighting. You guys tried to... Come on, don't screw the steamroller. The guy it's on my he, goddamn he script. It's the love. first thing. It's the first thing. Love. The kid's a great uh, kid. Big shout-out to his old man, Big Sal. Yeah, Sally Walnuts. You can't beat this family, man. Pulling yeah. for him. He looked great before he left, and I you know, I got sick for a couple of weeks, so I got a, I was out of touch. But yeah. it, when he left, he looked great, and I'm sure they did a great job with him in, in Florida. So, yeah. uh I look forward to that fight, man. He's going to bring it like he always does and uh, hoping for big things for this kid. Great, great pay-per-view matchup against Otman Azaitar. We'll get a quick pick prediction from Ken Flo later in the show. But, yeah, you got Matt the Steamroller for Vola, his dad Sal the Bulldozer for Vola. <laughs> I can get <laughs> behind all of that. All right, buddy, have a, uh, have a great Sunday. Best to the family, and uh, we will talk to you next Monday. Always a pleasure, guys. Enjoy. There it is. Take it easy, the man. Ray Longo right. Minute every week on the Anik and Florian podcast. All right. Rest of the show is going to be devoted to predictions. Let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. So you can't see our producer, Cody Merrow, but the eyes he gives me when my Abu Dhabi Wi-Fi starts to like flicker a little bit. The dude is 6'3", looks at me like wants to fucking kill me. Thankfully, Ian Parker thinks a little bit more highly of me. He now joins us live. He is the duck on social media, Ian Parker MMA. And thanks to our intern, Casey Williams, doing a great job with the scoreboard spreadsheet. Didn't have a lot to update, boys. You both went one and four to begin the 2021 slate. It wasn't a good night for the favorites. 
I can understand why you would back Santiago Ponzinibbio, for example, but 3-3 is the score because you did both have Max Holloway to win by decision. So we move it along now. We have got two fight cards this week, a ton of picks to make. There are going to be two live events before we are back on the air on this podcast. So let us begin UFC Fight Night, Kies versus Magny, and then we'll get to 257, Poirier v. McGregor 2. Uh, three picks, Ian, on this first card. We'll begin with the main card opener. It's at featherweight, Lerone Murphy. I put this fight on here because I love this kid. Certainly has the respect of the odds makers as well. Minus 280, the favorite here against the plus 240 underdog, Douglas Silva DeAndrage. Mr. Parker, who do you have? Yeah, give me Lerone Murphy in this. I agree. I think we got a nice little prospect here, and I think this is a good uh, name to get on his resume for the win. So, Kemflo, Silva DeAndrage moved up to 145 pounds for his last fight. He beat Henan Burrell. I just thought Murphy looked like a world beater in stopping Ricardo, Ricardo Hamos on Fight Island in July. He's 9-0-1. What do you think about Murphy here against the Brazilian? Yeah, I, listen, I, I think Murphy uh, has some good striking uh, and, and just a, a pretty solid overall game from what we've seen so far. Uh, and, and beating Ricardo Ramos, um, I, I think, is no easy task. I think that Ramos gets a little bit wild. I think uh, Silva de Andrade gets a little bit wild at times. Yeah. And I think it is a, a perfect uh, matchup for him to kind of show that he's the, the cleaner striker, the more uh, capable fighter. And man, does he have a good frame for that featherweight division. All right. Co-main event at welterweight. Munir Lezez minus 220 versus Warley Alves plus 180. We will need the round and the method of victory here. So Lezez was pretty impressive on Fight Island. He's local to the region. Lives in Dubai here in the United Arab Emirates. Huge UFC debut came against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan. Now he draws the 11-time UFC veteran Warley Alves. IP, talk to me, kid. Who do you like? Well, look, Alves is no joke. He's fought a lot of top guys, and whenever people count him out, he tends to rise to the occasion. However, Lazez showed us something in that last fight against the guy Hassan that we didn't really think was going to happen that quick. I think mm-hmm. he wins here. I think this is a good. I think it's a good test, a good build. I think he's going to finish Warley Alves in the second round by TKO. Round two TKO for Munir Lazez. Kenny, you and I called many of Warley Alves's early UFC fights. To Ian's point, he's been in there with Kamar Usman. He did have that win over Colby Covington back in the day. Uh, but entering this one off a loss to Randy Brown, and that was all the way back in 2019. So a layoff and a tough proposition in Munir Lazez. Talk to me on the comment. Well, listen, I think if Warley Alves is smart, he's going to try to take this fight to the ground. Uh, you know, we don't know exactly what Lazez can do, uh, especially off of his back. I think that would be the easiest path to victory. We don't always see that executed by a lot of mixed martial arts fighters. Uh, bravado uh, comes into play a lot of times. Yeah. But um, I do think that Lazez is a very dangerous striker with a lot of different tools. And if he's able to keep the fight standing, uh, I do think that he will get the win and get a stoppage uh, over Alves. Uh, I'm going to go with Lazez here. You got a round for me with that stoppage, brother. Ah, let's go with, let's go round one. Outstanding. I hate when y'all do the same fucking round, if I'm being honest. Yeah. And I I'm know. not calling these fights, by the way. I chose round two. I chose I round know. two. I know. That's oh, why okay. I'm glad he chose round one. Oh, I, I got okay. it. And if I don't, you know, Casey Williams is going to track that shit because he's the mathematician. But for the first time, I just, as an aside, since Dominic Cruz fought Cody Garbrandt, I am going to be in the arena this Wednesday night and not calling fights for the first time since 2016. So I'm going to be able to text you boys. 
So I'm excited for these yes. particular selections because I'm actually just going to be a fan until I host the post show after the fact. All right, main event, Ken Flo is going to lead us here. Neil Magny, minus 135. Michael Chiesa, plus 115. 24th UFC star for Neil Magny. And, and once again, he's got a long winning streak in tow. This guy's incredible. Three in a row, five of six overall. Chiesa's also won three in a row. And that included a win over Rafael Dos Anjos pre-COVID in January. Ken Flo, main event, close on paper. Who wins and how do they get it done? Yeah, and I see this fight being close as well. I, I think that uh, Kiesa could pose a lot of problems for Magny, especially if he's able to get those takedowns going early on. I think that will kind of uh, let us know whether he's going to uh, find the range and find the ability to clinch up Neil Magny and take him down. Um, I think that Neil Magny does an excellent job because of that long reach of establishing that jab and keeping guys on the outside. And he has improved his wrestling to the point where I don't think it's going to be necessarily easy for Chiesa uh, to get him down. However, Chiesa does most of his best work up against the cage. Um, and that's what he's going to have to do. I think it it starts and ends with Neil Magny's footwork. If Neil can stay in the center of the octagon, get that jab moving, and and move laterally uh, in, in association with that jab, I think it's going to be a long night for Kiesa. I think he'll keep Kiesa off balance and get the win. That's the way I'm seeing it. I see uh, Neil Magny uh, getting the win by decision. I don't see a stoppage here necessarily, but I think Neil Magny is going to do enough to really hurt Kiesa, keep him on the outside. Uh, and uh, I think this is going to kind of let us know whether this is a Neil Magny that can maybe challenge for the belt in the near future. Right. I think he's that good. I also think Kiesa is that good. If Kiesa is yeah. able to go out there and make quick work or make uh, make a real uh, a relatively easy time of taking down Magny consistently – I think Kiss is one of those guys that could challenge for the belt as well. So I'm really curious about that fight and see, uh, to see how this one plays out. I agree. I think it's a great main event. You can see it on ESPN Plus and ESPN. How does the duck quack on this one? You liked that, well, didn't you? I got a little smile out of you. You did. You did. You got, you got me there. That kind of made me all. Or are you just all... happy to get a little break from the children? Well, you, got, you had my tail feather go like this for like a second. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, Kenny missed it. I'll show you again. It went like this. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> Sorry. he missed it again. He was looking. I know he did. I know he did. I'll yeah. wait. I'll wait. There you go. <laughs> so <laughs> he laughed twice, but didn't even look. He just knows I'm funny. It's great. But uh, look, I, I, I think Neil Magny gets this by decision as well. I actually think this fight is not as close as what we think. I think Neil Magny is a little bit on a different level than Kiesa. And I'm just going based on level of competition, the way these things have, have gone. Uh, a Diego Sanchez win, that was Kiesa figuring out the new weight class. Same thing with the RDA fight. I don't think he's fought someone yet truly in this weight class that will pose the problems. To Kenny's point, Kiesa does his best work against the cage, but Magny's also very good defensively against the cage. He's able to really get his range on. He gets off the cage really well, throws those knees to the body really well. And his cardio is nonstop. And Kiesa in those last two fights, we did see that cardio kind of take a little bit of a, a toll on him. I think Neil Magny gets this by de decision. I think after he gets this win, he needs a, a true top three guy to really see if Neil Magny is the dark horse in the division that I believe he is. All right. Nice way to capstone that. And we will transition now to UFC 257 Poirier versus McGregor two, which goes down three days later, live on pay-per-view time permitting. We will have eight selections on this card for you. First up, main card opener, strawweight. Amanda Hibas minus 310. Marina Rodriguez plus 255. Rodriguez 12-1 and 1 with two draws. 
40% of her UFC fights have ended in a draw. Carla Esparza took her O in her last fight. That was back in July. He bossed 10 and one broke through in a major way in 2020. Of course, highlighted Ian by that bludgeoning of Paige Van Zant at UFC 251. Any value on Rodriguez or are you on the he boss like most of the world? Mm-mm, all aboard the he boss. No, yeah. I, look, I mean, listen, there, there's value, I guess, but I just don't see where she wins. I think he boss is the real deal. I think she's the superstar. Let's go. Cause see for you with a bankroll fatter than mine, you're not as scared away by minus three ten, Right. So for you, like, so, cause like you know for a lot of last, people, I, last night though, that, Last night should warn a lot of people to, of to course, think, no strat- doubt. To think, strat- to think strategy because it's very rare that I will do that unless it's a live play. You know, that's when then you can kind of lay a little bit more juice. But fights like last night with Pons and Nibio, eh, I had the, the Pons. I had a, I worked on that. After I saw how bad I bot- botched that, by the way, I really was pissed at myself. But the, listen, huh. even with even with Buckley, Kenny even said that, you know, his opponent first round is dangerous. It's hard to lay juice on those guys. Right. So for he boss, I just, I think there's a different level here. Lay the juice on right. he boss. You're good. And Ian sort of talking about Santiago Ponzanibio and Joaquin Buckley, both similarly priced last weekend. But I do think for a lot of betters out there, they see minus three ten. And if you're a straight wager guy like me, you're not going near that. Uh, Ken Flo, Amanda, he boss, Marina Rodriguez got anything for us on that. Yeah, listen, I think Marina Rodriguez is a very good striker. I just think she's too green when it comes to the wrestling and grappling game. And I think that's where Hebus is going to expose her if she's smart. Uh, Rodriguez is going to have a nice reach advantage. And I think it might be a little bit challenging for Hebus to get in in the beginning. But once Hebus gets that clinch with her judo and jiu-jitsu background, I think she takes to the ground and she finishes it uh, shortly after. So uh, I like Hebus. All right, also on pay-per-view with the women, JoJo Calderwood, minus 120. Jessica I is the even money underdog. Title eliminator of sorts. I mean, it's number six and number seven in the world. They both have lost two of three. I had her title shot. Didn't go particularly well. I guess if Calderwood can break through here, she'd be in the mix, uh, along with the Jessica Andrages, Lauren Murphys of the world, trying to close in on Valentina Shevchenko. Uh, Ian, close fight on paper. Let's see if we can get some dissension here. Who do you have? Hold on, let me flip a coin real quick. Uh, yeah. Or we could have Ken Flo lead and you could go the other way. No, 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 it's fine. You know what? I'm going to go based on, I think, speed and uh, I think the better strike. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll the dice on the underdog here and say Jessica I. Kenny, what do you think? Uh, this is a tough one for me. I, I feel like Calderwood um, just doesn't show up um, you know, to the best of her ability. I think she has way better skills than what she shows. If she shows all those skills on fight night, I, I think she wins this and wins this pretty easily by decision. Um, but Jessica, I may not have conversely may not have the same kind of versatility as a Calderwood. Uh, but she does, she's a competitor, man. She shows up and, and she fights hard. Um, I, I get where Ian is coming from here. Um, I, I would lean that way. Uh, but I'm going to go with Calderwood. I think it's going to be a close fight, uh, but I think she gets it done. That's what we like, because now I can sit up on the desk and text you all. All right, go <laughs> ahead and a lightweight. Dan Hooker, minus 140. Michael Chandler, plus 120 for the UFC debut. We will need the round and the method of victory. All right, I saw Dan Hooker a few days ago. He has been on Fight Island for a while. Chandler's charter was delayed. He's not even here yet. Actually, I think he landed as we were on the air. So he'll get out of quarantine on Tuesday. I think if anyone can power through that adversity by just being sound of of mind and body, it's Michael Chandler. But Ian, nonetheless, kind of a, a tough fight and matchup for a UFC debut. 
What do you think about Hooker and Chandler under the lights? I like Dan Hooker here. You know, I, I am a believer that Chandler is a top guy in the weight class, regardless of organization. I believe that he does deserve to be here, and I think he deserves a fight like this. However, stylistically, I don't like it. I think the range of Hooker is going to be a problem. Hooker has fought, in my opinion, better guys recently, as in Dustin Poirier, and fought five rounds and fought very well, took some rounds from Dustin. It's hard to really gauge where Chandler is going to be in this, being that his last wins, you know, like a Benson Henderson, where we see – that's just not where this level is right now. I think Hooker could win this fight by decision. I think if he just doesn't get taken down, I think he's the better stand-up guy. So I'm going Dan Hooker here. And how? Oh, my God. I, oh, I said by decision. I'm sorry. Decision. Okay. I thought I said decision that. for Dan okay. Hooker, and he has 15 minutes. Just a three-round fight. Going to be interesting if we see some five-round co-main events here in 2021. Uh, Ken Flo, talk to me. Chandler Hooker, who do you have? You know, my hesitation with this fight is that sometimes Chandler – um, gets involved in these firefights when, when he really shouldn't and can make the fight a lot easier than it needs to be, uh, especially with that uh, wrestling background and his ground and pound. Um, he is tough as nails, but I don't know if he wants to really trade with a longer, lankier, uh, and skillful Dan Hooker. That's the concern for me for Chandler. He's as tough as they come. He has some serious skills. He's got some power. Um, but uh, I, I think Dan Hooker... Uh, is kind of poised to take this win here. Uh, I'm also going to go by decision, so I'm sorry, John, uh, right. but I, I like Dan here. Hooker also on that all-toughness team, by the way, and I think yes. the amount of punishment that he absorbed against both Felder and Poirier, not good for purposes of career longevity, but I also think Eugene Behrman and the coaches were pretty hard on him for those results. I mean, not the Felder fight, I guess, but they were hard on him for uh, not being defensively sound in the, in the Poirier fight, so we'll see if he makes some... Uh, some changes and shores things up against Michael Chandler. All right. Main event, Connor McGregor minus two seventy, Dustin Poirier plus two thirty. I flew with Dustin. He's been here a while. Looks like Connor is coming maybe from Dubai today. So Connor's one and one, as we said at 155 pounds in the UFC prevailing wisdom is though, that this is his best weight class. And I've always felt that eventually he would get in a rhythm schedule wise at 155 pounds. So since the first meeting, Ian, between these two in 2014, Poirier has produced 10 lightweight wins, a ton of wars along the way. Definitely a much improved version of the guy Connor fought than in 2014, but so is McGregor. The question beckons, to what extent has Poirier closed the gap? And the masses want to know, who do you have? So the only thing I disagree with is I don't think that Connor is actually that much more of an improved guy based on the fights we've seen against, you know, guys like Khabib and even with Nate in the first fight. I think the biggest difference here is going to be Dustin's improvement in the striking. Emotionally, maturity, way different than the first one. He wanted to go in there and knock off Connor's head. This one, he doesn't. He just knows how big of an opportunity this is for him to get back to the title. Like he said, he tasted that interim belt, and now he wants the real one. And he knows he's got to go through Connor McGregor. Payday, superstar status, everything. Dustin is a very good grappler, great jujitsu fighter. That is a huge difference here as Connor is not the best off his back. His takedown defense maybe improved a little bit, but we've seen those two fights that he lost. Where does it usually happen? On the ground. Mm. Also, Dustin's cardio is always phenomenal. His output, phenomenal. Connor struggles in the cardio area. He tends to fade in the, in the middle to end the second, get a little burst in the third, fade in the fourth, come back in the fifth. Can't do that against Dustin. We've seen Dustin take punishment against Dan Hooker in two rounds, come back and deliver insanity in three, four, and five, stepping in the Gaethje fight. 
Uh, the value here, in my opinion, is on a more active Dustin Poirier. I am going to go Dustin Poirier. I even wow. five. Okay, so here's my thing. I know everybody loves Connor. I think what Connor has done for the sport is second to none. He brings eyes. He's a superstar, no doubt. But fighting as he's just super inactive and beating a Donald Cerrone, who's not the Donald Cerrone that we all love to think about, doesn't show me that he has evolved to the point of where Dustin has. Dustin's just a different guy now. And I think that that we will see in this fight. The emotions aren't there. Dustin knows what he has to do. I'm rolling with the diamond. Um, I would love to say he'll finish Connor, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself here. I'm going to go Dustin by decision. And I love him. I'm actually very surprised the line is this big, to be honest. So I like Dustin here in that spot. Breathe it in, baby. A lot to respond to there, and I am breathing it in. I I do think, Kenny, as you know, that he is shortchanging Conor McGregor in terms of his evolution and his improvements. I mean, just the way he beats Cerrone, I think, gives you a lot that you can sort of delve into. But uh, what are your thoughts on this main event and ultimately who gets it done? I I think there's no question about that. I I think that um, Dustin Poirier uh, is a different guy, but he's more of a different guy mentally. I, I think that he's become more confident as a fighter um, and he's getting some excellent results because of it. I, I do think he's made some improvements with his boxing, but speed-wise, athletic-wise, I don't think he's at or really that close on the level with someone like Conor McGregor, um, who I really think is, is an A-class athlete. Um, you look at the way he moves and the things that he can do in there and the confidence in which he does things, I think it's just a different level. I also think that uh, Ian is vastly underrating uh, Conor McGregor's grappling skills. Um, I think that if you look at, and again, you know, it, it doesn't always help to look at how the fighter did against this, but, but they have a common opponent in 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 and uh, in, in, in Khabib Nurmagomedov. And, and you look at the way both those guys performed, and again, put it into the context of Conor McGregor going in there with a broken foot, um, which I do believe because Connor didn't throw any kicks at all in that fight. I think we're going to see Connor McGregor at his best. I also think this is going to be one of those jaw dropping performances where people go, Oh yeah, Connor's a little bit different now. Uh, he, he looks different. Uh, and yeah, you could say that Donald Cerrone isn't the same kind of guy, but who goes out there and starches Donald Cerrone like that in that manner with so many different techniques. I, I think that, uh, Conor McGregor in the moment is a, is about as creative as it gets. Um, I think he's in the top three as far as strikers in the UFC, along with Israel Adesanya and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Um, and I think that he's just been boxing for a heck of a lot longer than Dustin Poirier has. So um, I think that if Dustin goes out there and thinks he's going to bully Conor and, uh, you know, utilize his boxing or just take him down, it's going to be easy takedown. Um, I, I think he's going to be in for a rude awakening. I, I think I like Conor McGregor uh, most likely within uh, 10 minutes. Uh, I'll go with Conor McGregor uh, round two knockout. Really well done, Ken Flo. And uh, if you listen to Kenny break down McGregor, any and you did a great job as well. He just happened to talk last. So I was complimenting him there. Don't take that uh, too sensitively. But I mean, you nailed obviously uh, the round one of the McGregor Cerrone fight, but uh Nicely done on the main event. I want to get a few quick picks on the way out. Main card fight here at Lightweight Ian Otman Azaitar. A lot of power. Minus 155, the favorite here against Matt the Steamroller for Vola. He comes back at plus 135. Ian, who do you have here? I like Otman. Ken Flo? 
Otman Azaitar, Matt Frivola on the quick pick. I think your mic's muted. Maybe not. Yeah, I, I hate to go against uh, Frivola here, but I do think that Azaitar uh, huh. has an insane amount of power, man. I, I got to go with uh, Azaitar. Ken Flo fades anyone with Longo Association no, on the no, fucking regular. No, no. Yes. I, I hate doing that. I just. I just think that this is a tough matchup for him, man. I, I really do. And I hope Frivola pulls it off. Um, I just think that this guy, Otman's uh, got some serious freaking pop yeah, he in his does. Uh Kenny, yeah. we'll lead with you on this. Sarah McMahon, minus 130. Juliana Pena, plus 110. You know, I think Pena does most of her uh, best work on the ground. I don't think it's going to happen. I think McMahon with the wrestling gets it done. In McMahon, Pena. Yeah, Kenny, Kenny said it right on the nose there. I, I'm going to go with McMahon as well. Both like McMahon. Uh, Brad Tavares, minus 150. Shoeface An- Antonio Carlos Jr., plus 130. Ian, you like BT or uh, or Shoeface there? Give me Shoeface on this one, please. Shoeface at plus 130. You know Ian's done his homework, but Cody's not letting him give his analysis there. Kenny, who do you have? I'm going to go the other way with Tavares. Cody, what's the problem, man? You, we're not doing like analysis on the quick picks. You're the you're the executive producer. I'm not. I'm not saying anything. I'm just right. you're you're over here like I'm telling you in your ear to cut Ian short. Oh, but oh I'm not, come like, on, I'm short No, no, no. But hey, it. <laughs> Cody. Well, I mean, hey, Cody I told me John said Ian keep it short. I heard him. I heard him. Well, I was going <laughs> to interrupt no, I... because we have Amanda Heboss actually on the other line. If you want me to grab her, do you want me? Right. Do you want it? She's actually in Cody's bathroom. You see where he's really pointed? No, no, so I, I gotta got just grab her. Over here. Oh, John, I love your mustache. <laughs> yeah. Thank, yeah, thank you, man. Right thank there. you. That's right. <laughs> but no, I did have anxiety knowing we had to get 11 picks out there today. So you can blame me. And finally, great fight here Armand Sarukyan, minus 240, Nasrat Hackparast, plus 200. IP, close us out. No, I like Armand here. I, I like him as a prospect moving up. I think this is a good matchup for him. Kenny, you like Sarukian at all? Sarukian, the Armenian. There you go. All right, Ian Parker. He is the duck on social media at Ian Parker MMA. We appreciate your time. And it looks like uh, a week off for uh, the UFC next week. So we will get picks next for UFC Fight Night. Overeem versus Volkov. That will be early February back at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. Enjoy your Sunday, kid. You going with the uh, the Browns plus ten against the Chiefs, or uh, or do you like the uh, the Kansas City outfit? I don't like ten the playoff game. If you're gonna go KC, you got to tease it down. You know that's uh, right now. I'm rolling with uh, Joey Osborne here with the Green Bay tease. Uh, tease Green Bay down and Cleveland up. I like that, so I'm rolling with that. And I had Buffalo straight, so that was cool. All right. Speaking of which, Joe Osborne from OddShark.com coming up next. Let's get to the pick to click. Time now for the pick to click. The pick to click. All I have to do is bet on the winner, and I'll never lose. A John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, today's pick to click is brought to you by my number one destination, Odd Shark, your source for the latest odds from leading authorities, expert editorial content, and detailed matchup picks with expert in depth analysis for each game. Their free stats, numbers, and trends will help you make the sharp picks on game day. Head over to Odd Shark and start playing like a shark today. That is oddshark.com. Don't forget the second S. And now with us, as is customary during a monumental pay-per-view week, Oddshark sports betting analyst Joe Osborne on Twitter. You can find him at JTFOZ. On Instagram, it is paperchaserjoe, paperchaserjo. What's up, my friend? 
Uh, not much, man. What a card that was yesterday. And we have another massive sports weekend upon us. Of course, we had the McGregor fight. Then on Sunday, we had the AFC title game, the NFC yep. title game. And I got to also throw in here, I started a family karate class with my three-year-old son no here uh, next Sunday morning, guys. So, you know, watch what you say in the comments section, uh, <laughs> listeners of the show. So, you know, nice. I'm going to be bringing some skills here. So, so be careful. Karate so Joe. you both will be taking part. That's outstanding. Yeah, the absolute basics. And that always, you know, with, with little kids, I'm sure you're the same, John, as you try to introduce them to a bunch of different yeah. stuff. Me being the big sports guy, you know, it's going to be all the team stuff. And then uh, the martial arts, you got to learn some self-defense being a little guy coming up, right? Just when you thought the Paper Chaser J.O. Instagram account couldn't get any better. Hopefully there's some footage on there. I actually found a bigger fan of yours than even me. It's my twin brother. He is just so happy with all of your work with these teasers. And I know you have another one in the NFL today, which you can see on his Instagram page right now. And by the way. Full disclosure, you were all over Max Holloway in the minus 135 range last night. I know how juicy that price was for you, so congrats on the cash there. But in the nature of spinning things forward, we got a big one, obviously, this mm. weekend. It's Conor McGregor in the minus 270 range or so. Dustin Poirier on the comeback, plus 230. What do you think about Conor coming back, and uh, how do you handicap this fight? Well, uh, Connor is my pick to win the fight, but as you know, uh, not very interested in coming on here and picking a guy minus 300 to win right. a fight. I'm sure a lot of the listeners aren't very interested in laying uh, the price minus 300. Maybe Connor's a little bit overvalued here, too, to be completely fair. Uh, you know, he's a couple tiers above Poirier as far as striking is concerned, uh, but Poirier is still very much world class, but... No value in picking a loser. And the reason I do like Connor here is very simple. Poirier gets hit way too much, and he has no significant grappling or wrestling advantage in this fight. So that's a very bad matchup going against Connor, that pinpoint accuracy yeah. and punching power. Poirier, he's been uh, on the wrong end of over 100 significant strikes in three of his last five fights. So that type of style versus this guy, very bad matchup. So that's a physical part of the fight. Now the mental part of the fight. You know, it's a big story coming into this fight. Poirier is talking about it. The media is talking about it, that uh, Dustin's a much more mature guy now, which he absolutely is. And he's not going to let any in external factors influence his performance. When I hear Dustin talk about this, guys, I got to be honest, makes me think that maybe he's still a little bit in his head here, right? Because such a big deal is being made out of this. Then you take a look at the, the Connor approach to the mental game. Obviously, you know, he's going to have the mental edge in most of these fights that he's in. But in these press conferences, the build up to the fight, he's usually trying to humiliate these guys and intimidate them. Last time out versus Donald Cerrone, a very different approach. It was a very gentleman like approach that he took with Donald, uh, very complimentary of Donald's career. Donald, we're in this together. We're putting on this big show together. Me and you, it's me and you, Donald. Donald right. takes all the pressure right. off of him. A second into the fight, he's trying to pulverize his, his face, right? So I think that kind of did throw Donald off a little bit yeah. in that fight. He didn't have a second to breathe, didn't have a second to think. And we're seeing shades of that with uh, with Dustin Poirier coming in to this fight, right? So we'll be very interested to see the, uh, the press conference there on Thursday to see uh, how the two interact with each other. And I think, John, you're in agreement with me here. Uh, I think Connor uh, can be underrated by some people. People either like the guy or hate the guy. 
I think he tends to be underrated a little bit because people see the bravado and the theatrics, and then they go, you log on to social media and you see the memes and the gifts of him being choked out by Nate Diaz and Khabib. His only two losses in the UFC, by the way, people forget that. So I think Connor wins, but how do you want to bet the fight? If you like Connor, you probably think he's going to win by TKO, KO. Still a little juicy, minus 175 on that. My best bet for this fight is under one and a half rounds, and that's plus money right now, plus 110. And the reason I like that is, first of all, it does leave the door open to an upset, so either fighter can win as long as it gets finished in inside a round and a half. Right. And we're seeing McGregor with this uh, prediction, right? He says he's going to win inside 60 seconds. So you get that at plus 400, by the way, but you got to give uh, Poirier a little bit more credit than that. And, you know, I think McGregor, he's not being paid by the by the hour. He's in there to take care of business. And I think it's going to be a very similar approach to what we saw with Cerrone. It's going to be blast off right from the start. And he's going to try yeah. to finish him as quickly as possible. Uh, six times in his career, he had in his UFC career, he's finished a fight in under a round and a half. So I like that quite a bit. Uh, plus money. That would be my best bet for the main event. Kenny, that's interesting because you said under 10 minutes, and I would imagine that bet might entice you getting under seven and a half minutes, Kenny, at plus 110. Yeah, listen, I, I think Joe was was pretty spot on with the, everything he said. Um, you know, we talked about a lot of those similar things. So, uh, Joe, excellent job on that. Um, how do you see this co-main event uh, with Chandler and Hooker? Uh, first of all, I thought that Hooker was going to be the underdog when the fight was was first announced. And I was actually looking forward, like, hey, I can't wait to bet on Hooker as an underdog here. But he's a slight favorite here, minus 120, so not a whole lot of value. And uh, it's kind of a bit of a coin flip fight. We don't know a whole lot about Michael Chandler. The hardcore fans do. You can go back and watch his, his work in, in Bellator. But it's kind of risky, right? We've seen uh, MMA veterans later on in their careers make their UFC debuts uh we have dozens of examples of this uh and we've seen some very mixed results sometimes they don't show up right so it's kind of like betting uh week one of the season we know what people are capable of but we don't know if they're going to bring that um but i do think this fight has decision written all over it guys so i like the over two and a half rounds at minus 120 I don't think that Chandler can KO Hooker, and Hooker hasn't been submitted in over 10 years, so I don't think that's a possibility. And then the other side of it, I think Chandler plays this fight incredibly safe. You know, he's got a ton of pressure on him coming into this fight. If you look at the card top to bottom after McGregor, I'd say Chandler has the second most pressure on him. So I think he's going to play it safe, and he's going to lean on his wrestling. If he looks at tape of Hooker's last two fights versus Poirier and Paul Felder. Why would he want to get into a firefight, you know, uh, uh, a striking war with this guy? I think he's going to try to avoid that at all costs. So I think he's going to lean on his wrestling. I think that's going to chew up a ton of clock. It's going to limit the big striking exchanges because Hooker, uh, he has pretty good uh, wrestling defense uh, from what I've seen. So over two and a half rounds, uh, minus 120 for the co-main. It's a pretty good spot, I think. I think Chandler's going to play it safe and probably not going to be a very exciting fight like we're used to with Dan Hooker. 
You have done your homework this week, as usual, my friend. Sorry, my phone is ringing in the hotel room. The only one who calls me when I'm on the road is Bruce Buffer. So I'm going to fucking kill this guy when we get off. How rude. How uh, rude, man. Joe Osborne, you can track his every move on Twitter at JTFOZ. And, of course, on Instagram. I just love the energy. Paper Chaser J-O. Joe, my friend, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And uh, we'll talk to you next month in advance of UFC 258. And I will talk to you, I believe, tomorrow on Guys and Bets, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely, John. I'm going to absolutely grill you. A ton of uh, tough questions. Some gutcha journalism. So you're going to be in hot <laughs> water. So, so, so come prepare for that. Yeah. Ask me if Dana White and the media are going to get along better this year. And ask me about criticism of all of my broadcast partners, because that makes me really happy to have to answer those questions. Hey, appreciate your time, my man. I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Good luck and good luck to all the listeners. Thank you very much. There he is, Joe Osborne, joining us as usual during a pay-per-view week, week from oddshark.com. All right, before we get on out of here, Ken Flo's YouTube channel again, if you're looking for some amazing jujitsu videos. I mean, I'm the guy who really needs this shit, right? The problem is I have to take notes when I watch, which isn't always uh, <laughs> ideal when you got kids running around. But that's not the kicker on today's show. The kicker is Ryan Hall because he finally got one of these elite featherweights to sign on the dotted line. And it's the ever classy Dan Ige. So I love I love both of these guys, Ken, but presumably if the calendar aligns, you will be in Ryan Hall's corner and you got to be happy, obviously, to be facing a guy with a. Uh, a resume and just a, a, a good attitude like Dan Ige, you know, that's right. I mean, listen, this guy's a Brazilian jitsu black belt. Uh, he's a stud when it comes to striking as well. He's as tough as they come. Uh, I mean, how many guys were able to strike with uh, Calvin Cater uh, and, and go the distance? Um, not many. Dan Ige uh, is a beast right now. Number 11 in the world, I believe. So uh, th this is a great fight for both guys. And um, I, I can't wait, man. So uh, Ryan's been training hard and uh, we're ready to go for March. All right. Beautiful. We got to get on out of here. I am exhausted, folks. Thanks to everybody, though, for all the feedback on the ABC broadcast. Thank you all for subscribing to the Anakin Florian Podcast YouTube channel. Hit that like button. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Tell your friends. We continue to add more content to the channel, though. I can tell you that I'm doing a video podcast with Paul Felder. It's called FNA. And of course, remember the show with Bilal Muhammad and Jason Anik airs live every Thursday at 830 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. With all of that, for our executive producer, Cody Merrow, and the legend, Ken Flo, John Anik, signing off here from Abu Dhabi. Thank you all for watching, for listening. We'll be back next Monday. We'll recap the big one, UFC 257, Poirier versus McGregor 2. Remarkably, now just six sleeps away. We will talk to you next week. Until then, don't text and drive. Yo fucking later.